Well, uh, uh, this year, as Philip's just prayed, obviously, it's the uh, Jubilee coming up. 70 years of the Queen's reign. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm just wondering whether anybody remembers that. Does anyone, can anyone, does anyone who, who was here at the time, don't stick a hand up, but perhaps one or two of us might remember. And uh, Barry's raising an eyebrow, he remembers. Uh, did we watch it on the TV? Did anybody watch it on the TV? It was a big thing that it was televised. Um, an extraordinary event that... Um, uh, Three quarters of the population of the country watched it. 27 million people out of 36 population watched it on TV. And it was a really, really big event. Apparently, my, um, I'm told my great-grandparents bought a TV, especially for the occasion of the coronation, so they could watch. Uh, but, of course, many wanted to be there in person. And what a day it must have been. Three million people lining the streets of London and crowded onto... They built over 20-odd miles worth of um, temporary sort of stands along the processional route so that people could get a glimpse of the royal carriage as it made its way towards Westminster Abbey for the coronation. But there was a huge procession, apparently over 30,000 people in the procession alone. Just an extraordinary scene of the coronation. Well, we've got a similar scene in our reading today. As if you've got that open in Matthew 21, you can see the subheading says, The Triumphal Entry. And what we just read is a coronation procession. Uh, it's the arrival of a new king. Uh, it's not the actual moment of coronation. Actually, of course, we've got to wait for this coming Friday, Good Friday, for, for the coronation. But look at what Matthew says. He quotes that Old Testament scripture of Zechariah that uh, Ruth just read from the Old Testament. It was a prophecy. And Matthew, and he's writing about what happened here on this day, quotes it in verse 5 to explain what's going on. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you. The king has come. And that's what the people knew what was going on. What were they saying? Verse 9, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. David, King David, the greatest king Israel had ever had. And here's Jesus, he's the son of David, he was the heir to David's throne, he's next in line to succeed. So that's what was going on, it was the arrival of a king, and look at the reaction from the crowd, I mean it was a big crowd, it wasn't just any old crowd, verse 8 says, it was a very large crowd, and look what they were doing, spreading their cloaks on the road, and not, it wasn't just these palm branches that we've just had our palm trees handed out now, but they took their coats off. Imagine doing that. Take the coat off, put it in the road for the, all the procession and the donkey to go. It's going to get completely ruined, isn't it? But such was their devotion to the arrival of this king that they were willing to sacrifice their, uh, their nice coat in order to do the equivalent of rolling out the red carpet. They didn't have red carpet in those days, but they had palm branches and they had people's coats. And so Jesus arrived into the city. There's people going ahead of him. Verse 9, some people went ahead. Some people were following behind. They're all singing. Absolutely awesome scene as they welcomed the king into the city. And it caused such a stir, verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And that word for stirred in the original Greek is same as seismic. It was seismic. So the arrival of Jesus the king, it was an earth-shaking event, Jesus arriving. Imagine being there being part of it all. I wonder where you'd have been if you were on that day. Would you have been right up in amongst it or would you have been just hanging back, watching it, you know, 
They didn't have TV then, but maybe you'd just be at home watching it on the TV, not too interested. Or maybe you'd be there right in the thick of the throng with your coat. You know, I'm going to put my coat down in the road as well. Everyone's doing it. I'm going to take my coat off and show how much I honour and welcome this new king arriving. Where would you have been in the, in the scene? Well, well, I don't know about you, but what strikes me is, as I read this incredible celebratory atmosphere is I know what happened next. Um, and so do you as well. I don't know if it's not too much of a spoiler alert, but this is only a week before Easter, isn't it? And the chronology is right. We've just read this, um, what we just read, the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem on the donkey was a week before the crucifixion. So how did that happen? How did this incredible crowd go from chanting Hosanna one week to crucify him the next? They wanted to crown him one minute and they wanted to crucify him the next minute. How, so the question is, how did this huge crowd so quickly change their mind? Why did Jesus' approval ratings in the polls plummet so dramatically, so quickly? Why did they go off Jesus when they were originally so enthusiastic about him? And why does anybody do that today? Why do people go off Jesus today? I mean, maybe you know somebody who used to be very fired up about their faith, but now not so much. Um, maybe that's you, actually. You know, maybe you can remember a time in your own life when you were really passionate about following King Jesus. But now, yes, you're still here you're in church on a Sunday morning, but, you know, the candle is flickering a little bit and you're not as excited about the Lord Jesus as perhaps you once were. Why does that happen? How can we understand it? Well, I wonder, is it, maybe it's a little bit like this. Have you ever been disappointed with a present? Uh, have you ever been handed a present and you go, oh, how brilliant, and it's all wrapped up nicely and you unwrap it with glee only to find, ugh, and immediately you're disappointed and you've got to pretend like you're grateful. Imagine being a nine years old and it's your 10th birthday tomorrow. Just imagine the excitement of a 10th birthday. I mean, you can't sleep because uh, of the uh, anticipation. And you wake up at some unearthly hour, wake everybody in the house up. You want to run downstairs and open your presents. It's your birthday. And the initial seeds of disappointment get set in when you realise that the present, well, it's only an envelope. And actually, to be honest, you were hoping for something a little bit bigger for your birthday present, but it was an envelope, and okay, so unwrap the envelope, and out, and it's just a card. And out of the card drifts a little tiny triangle, uh, a rectangular sort of sheet of paper, and it's got a little picture of a black horse in the corner and some numbers and a little squiggle in the corner, and you think, oh, how disappointing. And, the, uh, and, uh, and you were after Lego, actually was what you really wanted. But here's the card, and it explains it's from Granny, and, and you'll understand when you're older, but actually this is a lot of money, and it's to go towards a mortgage deposit. She's very generous, Granny. And you think, oh, well, how disappointing. Well, I wonder whether something similar was going on here. This crowd, you know, they, they were expecting something, and their expectations didn't get met. You know, they thought, here's the king, he's coming, he's going to be a particular kind of king, but the kind of king that Jesus actually is wasn't the kind of king that they were hoping for. And uh, so they, they cried out in verse 9, Hosanna! And what does a Hosanna mean? It's one of these Christian words, we sort of have it in our hymns, don't we? But what does it mean? It says in the footnote there, doesn't it? There's a little B next to Hosanna, it tells you in the footnote. It's a Hebrew expression meaning save, 
They wanted Jesus, they were shouting out, save, save us. They wanted salvation. But the kind of salvation that Jesus was bringing was a completely different kind of salvation from what they were expecting. It was much bigger and it was much bigger and much better, but they didn't understand that. And so I just wonder whether that's the case with anybody today who sort of like initially was excited about Jesus but then went off him, whether something similar is happening today. We've just misunderstood. But if only that child on their 10th birthday actually understood what that check really was, that that little black horse in the corner is actually the logo of a bank, and all those numbers are actually a very large amount of money, and the squiggle is Granny's signature, they'd realise that although it wasn't what they were expecting, it was something so much more valuable than they could ever imagine. And if we're able to put right our misunderstandings of what King Jesus is actually all about, then we'll be so much better off. We won't be like that crowd, which is excited about Jesus one minute and upset with him the next. We'll be those who gladly crown Jesus King of our lives as well. So what was this great misunderstanding? What did they get wrong about Jesus? Well, there's a pretty big clue that Jesus was not any ordinary sort of a king in the first little bit of the passage. Because Jesus chose quite a funny mode of transport to, to arrive on. I mean, we're so familiar with this idea of Jesus riding a donkey, but let's face it, that's not a very normal thing to do for a normal kind of a king, is it? To arrive on a donkey. This, this is not a normal king, this is a donkey riding king. And look at how deliberate he is with it in verses 1 to 3. As they approached Jerusalem, Jesus sent his disciples, he sent two of them off, saying, go on, go to this village, you'll find a donkey there. He knew it was going to be there, with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything, say, the Lord needs this donkey, and he will send them. You know, he was so deliberate about it. He didn't need to do that, did he? Jesus really. I mean, he went everywhere on foot. And he walked most of the way to Jerusalem. He doesn't need a donkey for the last few hundred yards just to sort of get him over the line. He, doesn't need, he wasn't sort of tired of thought, oh gosh, you know what, I could really do with a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a help getting right, you know, that final few yards. No, he was making a point. He was making a point by doing this. You know, when Queen Elizabeth was crowned back in 1953, she arrived in the gold state coach. It's 24 foot long, it's four tons, covered in gold, drawn by eight horses, and it's been used for every single monarch for their coronation procession since George IV. It's an absolutely extraordinary symbol of power that the Queen used. And any self-respecting ancient king would have been no less ostentatious. They would have at least ridden a horse, you know, if you're a proper king, arriving on a donkey. Must have looked ridiculous. It's absolutely outrageous. It's like, can you imagine all of the world leaders turning up to their G7 summit? Or, you know, and there's the reporters and they're all watching the world leaders arrive. Here comes President Macron in his private jet and his chauffeur-driven Mercedes. And here's, you know, President Biden and whatever. And oh, here comes Jesus. He's hitchhiked. And he's borrowed some kids. He looks like he's on a BMX, just peddling the final few yards. I mean, it's just, it's pathetic. Well, Jesus is not any kind of ordinary king. Look at the top. It says the triumphal entry. Is it triumphal? I don't think it really is. I think it's a pretty bad name for what's going on here. Could have been a lot more triumphal if Jesus wanted it to be, couldn't it? But he's not an ordinary king. And that quote from Zechariah that Ruth read in verse 5 tells us, look, see, your king comes to you gentle. That's not a very normal kind of characteristic for a king, is it? Oh, it's a gentle king. And if in that whole section that Ruth read it says that the king that was going to come was going to take away chariots 
and war horses and break the battle bow and instead proclaim a kingdom of peace. You see, King Jesus made such an unusual entrance because he hadn't come to establish an earthly kingdom at all, but a heavenly kingdom. And he hadn't come to defeat their obvious enemy. You know, when they were shouting, Hosanna, they were shouting, save us, save us, Jesus, save us. What did they want salvation from? Their sins? No. The Romans. They wanted their country back. They wanted to take back control. And what better time to do that than at the Passover, the time when all of the Israelites remember that one time when Jesus rescued them from another oppressive foreign force. At the Exodus, you know, uh, just like Jesus uh, Moses rescued the Israelites from Egypt. They might, must be thinking, oh, God's going to do the same thing again. Jesus is going to rescue us from Rome. But Jesus wasn't interested, and, he was, and he's not, still not interested, in nationalism. He's not bothered about na- nationalism. He hasn't come to defeat an earthly enemy. He's come to defeat sin and death. He hasn't come to make war with men. He's come to make peace with God. They completely misunderstood that. They misunderstood the enemy. They misunderstood the time scale. I mean, they're shouting Hosanna. Literally, that means save us now. Save now. Save now. They say, Can you? And that's so often what we want from Jesus, isn't it? Immediate results. Well, there is a sense in which he does save now, but there's also a sense in which we've got to wait. We've got to wait for him to come again. And so if we've got a misaligned expectation of what Jesus' salvation actually is we'll be just like that crowd we'll miss out as well if we think he's primarily here to solve our earthly problems you know, how come jesus hasn't helped out with my financial situation how come my health is struggling i've prayed about it and he hasn't taken that away how come he hasn't blessed my business like that i was hoping he was going to why hasn't he removed this thorn i've got in my flesh you know, why hasn't jesus defeated my earthly enemy why hasn't my prayers been answered the way i want them to well if If those are our questions, they're good questions, those. But if they are our questions, we might be a little bit like that disappointed kid. Because we won't understand why a king who rides a donkey and wears a crown of thorns can help anybody. It's not to say that those are bad questions or bad prayers. Of course, Jesus cares about our business and our relationships and our health. And one day he will sort all of those things out as well when he returns. Because there will come a day when all earthly kingdoms will come to an end and there will be another coronation. And let me read to you from the end of the Bible. We've already had one spoiler alert. We might as well have another. This is what happens at the end. Revelation chapter 19. Let me just read to you from verse 11. John saw the future. He had a vision of the end. He says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. And he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So when Jesus comes again, when King Jesus arrives, this time not on a donkey, 
but on a white horse. Not this time in humility, but in great splendour. Not this time to, to save the world, but to judge the world and to reign with justice. Well, there'll be another welcome committee then. Another large crowd, a great multitude that nobody can count from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. And I wonder whether we will want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. Where will we be in that crowd on that day? But in the meantime, we're not there yet. And I hate to leave us on a cliffhanger, uh, but really to see what kind of kingdom it was that Jesus was inaugurating and what kind of a salvation it was that Jesus was bringing, we've got to come back next weekend. Because uh, to really understand what Jesus' kingdom is all about, to really see the value of that precious gift, unlike this crowd who completely misunderstood it, we've got to look forward to next weekend when we see that part two of the coronation ceremony on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday, when we'll see the greatest enemy defeated, the greatest problem solved, the greatest salvation possible offered to us, the far greater kingdom that this King of Kings has come to bring. Let's pray.